He knows his stuff and sure enough it's shooting the bull with Tom Snow. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Shooting the Bull with Tom Snow. I'm your host, Tom Snow. And today we'll be doing another kind of biographical episode like we did with Baron von Steuben. And today we're going to be talking about America's first naval hero. His name was John Paul Jones. And he's regarded, as I just said, as America's first naval hero. He won several spectacular victories during the American Revolution. But he's also considered as a pirate by the British for his tactics. So in this episode, we will discuss exactly who John Paul Jones was and determine if he was a naval hero or just a pirate. So let's talk about the early life of John Paul Jones. So his real name was actually not John Paul Jones. His real name was just John Paul. So John Paul was born in Scotland to a working class family. His father was a gardener for a wealthy nobleman's estates. Back in 18th century Britain, one could not simply really rise to the ranks of society like one can today. Therefore, Jones knew that if he stayed in Scotland, he would forever be seen as kind of like a peasant. And that's not what he really wanted. So as a very young man, he decided to become a sailor in hopes that would lead to a new life. Becoming a sailor is one of the few ways that one could kind of rise to the ranks of society, give or take. Like you can become an ordinary cabin boy and eventually raise to the rank of captain. So Jones was a very skilled mariner, and eventually he became captain of his own ship. So on one voyage, however, things took a very bad turn for the worse when he killed a mutinous seaman. Jones feared arrest, so he, I'm sorry, John Paul feared arrest, so he uh, fled to Virginia and added Jones to his last name. So John Paul becomes John Paul Jones to avoid people discovering his whereabouts. Now, when he arrived in Virginia, Jones tried to establish, establish himself as a gentleman by joining the local Freemasons. So the Freemasons was basically a giant fraternity for rich white guys in the 18th century. Guys like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin were all Freemasons. It was kind of like your ticket to elite society, if you will. They still exist today, but they're not as... Um, I don't want, they're probably not quite as like secretive or as quite a big deal as they were back then. Um, so while joining the Freemasons, he eventually became friends with fellow Freemason named Joseph Hughes. Um, Joseph Hughes was eventually elected to the Second Continental Congress when the American Revolution broke out in 1775, and that's going to play big dividends for John Paul Jones. So in 1775, when the American Revolution breaks out, Jones applies to be an officer in the new United States Navy. Thanks to Hughes, he was commissioned as first lieutenant of the Navy's flagship, the USS Alfred. He took part in the Battle of Nassau, and if you want to learn more about that battle, check out my episode that I did back in January. After the raid on Nassau, he was promoted to captain and given command of the Sloop of War Providence. As captain of the USS Providence, Jones does some controversial stuff. So he attempts to liberate American prisoners held in the town of Canso in Nova Scotia. But he arrives only to discover that the prisoners have been moved just days before. He therefore ordered his men to burn all the ships anchored in the harbor, as well as a few buildings ashore, which really angered the British loyalists living in Canada. And this is where he starts to get this reputation as kind of a pirate. 
On the way home, he captured a British supply ship carrying winter uniforms, which was sent to George Washington and his poorly clothed army. So you can start to see how he might be viewed as a hero for the Americans and doing some really good things, but also as a pirate for the British. Now, after his success in the U.S.'s Providence, Jones was given command of a bigger ship named the USS Ranger. So he set sail in the Ranger to England to do something that few had ever thought of, which was to take the war to the enemy's front door. He starts by leading a nighttime raid on the town of Whitehaven in England. He managed to destroy a fort and sink a couple of ships before making a very incredible getaway. This was the first and only time anyone has ever successfully attacked a British town since the Battle of Hastings in 1066. Remember, Britain is an island, so it's very hard to invade, especially since they had a gigantic navy protecting it. Um, for his next trick, Jones planned on kidnapping the Earl of Selkirk, who was the very man that employed his father as a gardener. Jones thought that he could exchange the Earl for a few American prisoners back home. Unfortunately, when Jones arrived, the Earl was not home, so John's, John Paul Jones decided he was just going to leave. His crew was getting a little bit restless, however, and a few of them stole the Earl's silverware without his permission. Now, prior to John Paul Jones's attack, most people in Britain saw the American Revolution the same way people in the United States saw the Vietnam War, or more recently, the war in Iraq. And that uh, was kind of like a foreign conflict that, while painful, painful for the families that lost loved ones, it did not really impact their life at home. Like, they weren't really in fear of attack. Jones's attacks changed all of that and gave them a very much a feeling of vulnerability. If you're living in the United States, compare it to a German U-boat bombarding the boardwalk in Atlantic City. Uh, the British were quick to call him a pirate, which Jones really did not like. Now, John Paul Jones really wanted to be seen as an officer and a gentleman, not as a pirate. A few quick facts about Jones. He was a very vain and very self-conscious individual and he really cared about his status in society. Um, instead of wearing an American naval uniform, John Paul Jones actually wore a British naval uniform. You might be thinking, why is an American naval officer wearing a British naval uniform in the American Revolution? It's simple, John Paul Jones thought the British naval uniform looked a lot better than the American one, so he wanted to look his best. Uh, the last thing he really wanted to be seen as was a rogue pirate. He did not want to be seen as Johnny Depp from Pirates in the Caribbean. He wanted to be seen as a, an elegant naval officer doing his duty. So he decided to do one thing that a pirate would never do, which is to go out and fight an actual naval warship. So I think I might have mentioned this in a few of my other episodes, but pirates and privateers were really only out to get rich. They would never actually fight an actual naval warship unless there was actually no chance of escaping the warship. So Jones finally got his chance to fight the, an enemy warship when he encountered the HMS Drake off Ireland. So the Ranger and the Drake were roughly similar in size. The Ranger had about 18 cannons while the Drake had 20. Although the Ranger's cannons were a bit larger than the Drake's, which made them just basically equal on paper. So Jones does not really play by the rules in this battle. As he approaches the HMS Drake, he's flying the British flag on the USS Ranger, and he does not fly the American flag until the Ranger and the Drake are right, right next to each other. 
He then orders the American flag raised and opens fire. After a short battle, the HMS Drake is very badly damaged and forced to surrender, giving Jones his spectacular victory over a British warship. So after his cruise in the Ranger, Jones decides to sail to France, which had recently joined the war on the side of the Americans. He was treated by the French as a hero and knighted by the King of France. He also became good friends with Benjamin Franklin, who gave him a new ship named the Bonhomme Richard, which is French for good man Richard. The name is a tribute to Franklin's popular Poor Richard's Almanac. The King of France puts Jones in charge of a small squadron of French and American ships and tells Jones to go back to attacking the British. His journey had barely begun when he discovered a large convoy of British warship, of British merchant ships escorted by the HMS Serapis. Like the, like the last battle, the two ships were roughly similar. The Bonhomme Richard had about 42 cannons and the Serapis had about 44 to 48 cannons. So the, Richard, the Serapis is a little a little more powerful, but not by much. However, the Richard was a much older ship than the Serapis, and many of her cannons were so, so old that they actually exploded when they were fired by the crew, which is not exactly a recipe for success. The battle unsurprisingly starts very badly for Jones, as the Bonhomme Richard is heavily damaged by the Serapis. To make matters worse, one of the French ships accidentally fires into the Bonhomme Richard by mistake. The British captain then asks Jones if he would like to surrender, to which Jones famously replies, I have not yet begun to fight. As the battle continues, the Serapis eventually takes more damage herself when an American Marine throws a hand grenade down her hatch and into the gunpowder magazine, gunpowder magazine, excuse me, which causes a huge explosion on the Serapis. In the end, it is the Serapis that is forced to surrender and although this Bonhomme Richard eventually sinks the next day, Jones and his crew is able to evacuate over to the captured Serapis and make that his new flagship. So the capture of the HMS Serapis was perhaps the greatest American naval victory of the American Revolution. After the American Revolution, the Continental Navy is disbanded and Jones is forced to find employment somewhere else. He offered his service to Catherine the Great of Russia and successfully commanded her fleet against the powerful Ottoman Empire. He eventually died in Paris in 1792 at the age of 45. It's important to note that he died very lonely, very resentful, and very depressed, and he was constantly wishing he was the chivalrous admiral instead of the self-made man that he really was. He also thought people back in the United States and France did not really appreciate his efforts towards the war which at the time was probably somewhat accurate. In 1906, however, his body was dug up from fr in France and brought back to the United States. To this day, his sarcophagus is on display in the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, which is very fitting for a man widely considered as the father of the United States Navy. So let's conclude this episode by determining if John Paul Jones was actually a pirate or a hero. In the United States, John Paul Jones is considered as the father of the United States Navy, who successfully carried the war to British waters. To the French and the Russians, he was a celebrity who represented a sort of self-made American ingenuity. 
To the British, however, he was a ruthless pirate who could be compared to Long John Silver or Blackbeard or Captain Kidd or any other famous pirate in the 18th century. Was he really a pirate, though? So, part of the British argument has to do with the fact that they did not recognize the United States as a legitimate country during the American Revolution. In their eyes, the Americans were a bunch of rebels defying the king's authority, which we kind of were. They thought Jones was a pirate just like they thought George Washington was a traitor. The problem for the British is that they lost and we won, so their traitors become our founding fathers. That's just the way it works. Winners get to write the history books. If you look at Jones's tactics, it can also be very easy to view him as a pirate. He did raid villages, plunder ships, and even try to kidnap an English nobleman. Which is not something a very chivalrous, elegant naval officer would do in the 18th century. This is the time of polite warfare. At the same time, a pirate would never really engage a British warship on two different occasions and come out on top. So that is something a naval officer would do as opposed to a pirate. I think a lot of people try to meet in the middle by calling him a privateer, but that's not really true either. He was a properly commissioned officer in the Continental Navy, which was the precursor of the United States Navy. His tactics also brought the war to the British home fronts, which played no small part in the general population realizing that it was not worth fighting to keep America as part of the British Empire. So I will put an Instagram slash Facebook poll out and see what you guys think. Is John Paul Jones a pirate or a naval hero? So that is my show. Thank you for joining me. And I look forward to talking to you next time on Shooting the Bull with Tom Snow. He knows his stuff and sure enough it's Shooting the Bull with Tom Snow. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Shooting the Bull with Tom Snow. I'm your host Tom Snow, and today we'll be doing an episode on the yellow fever pandemic. So sometime last year I'm, I made an episode where I compared the Spanish flu to COVID-19, and now I'm going to be doing the same thing with the infamous yellow fever pandemic of 1793. So let's get started. So what is yellow fever? So yellow fever comes from tropical climates such as Africa or South America, but can really spread anywhere. How can you catch it? So it is spread by mosquitoes and people can only get it by being bitten by an infected mosquito. Let me repeat that. You can only get yellow fever from mosquitoes, not from people. How can you prevent getting yellow fever? So if you're worried about getting yellow fever, I have good news for you. You can prevent getting yellow fever by getting a vaccine and also wearing a lot of insect repellent. So let's talk real quickly about yellow fever in the 18th century. So yellow fever was a constant problem in the 18th century as ships from South, uh, sorry, ships from Africa and the Caribbean would transmit the virus to cities in North America, including the lovely city of Philadelphia. So that takes us to the yellow fever epidemic of 1793. So the yellow fever epidemic of 1793 took place in Philadelphia between August and November of 1793. At the time, Philadelphia was the capital of the United States and the largest city. It had about 50,000 residents and most people lived in what is now Old City. So for those of you who do not, who are familiar with Philadelphia but might not know the neighborhoods very well, Old City was basically Front Street to 7th Street 
and, and Chestnut Street to Vine Street. So it's a, a lot of people packed in a very densely populated area. It was also one of the nation's largest seaports and with ships coming in from around the world. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Shooting the Bull with Tom Snow. I'm your host Tom Snow and today we'll be doing an episode on the yellow fever pandemic. So sometime last year I'm, I made an episode where I compared the Spanish flu to COVID-19 and now I'm going to be do the, doing the same thing with the infamous yellow fever pandemic of 1793. So let's get started. So what is yellow fever? So yellow fever comes from tropical climates such as Africa or South America, but can really spread anywhere. How can you catch it? So it is spread by mosquitoes and people can only get it by being bitten by an infected mosquito. Let me repeat that. You can only get yellow fever from mosquitoes, not from people. How can you prevent getting yellow fever? So if you're worried about getting yellow fever, I have good news for you. You can prevent getting yellow fever by getting a vaccine and also wearing a lot of insect repellent. So let's talk real quickly about yellow fever in the 18th century. So yellow fever was a constant problem in the 18th century as ships from South, uh, sorry, ships from Africa and the Caribbean would transmit the virus to cities in North America, including the lovely city of Philadelphia. So. That takes us to the yellow fever epidemic of 1793. So the yellow fever epidemic of 1793 took place in Philadelphia between August and November of 1793. At the time, Philadelphia was the capital of the United States and the largest city. It had about 50,000 residents and most people lived in what is now Old City. So for those of you who do not, who are familiar with Philadelphia but might not know the neighborhoods very well. Old City was basically Front Street to 7th Street and, and Chestnut Street to Vine Street. So it's a, a lot of people packed in a very densely populated area. It was also one of the nation's largest seaports and with ships coming in from around the world. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Shooting the Bull with Tom Snow. I'm your host Tom Snow and today we'll be doing an episode on the yellow fever pandemic. So sometime last year I'm, I made an episode where I compared the Spanish flu to COVID-19 and now I'm going to be doing the same thing with the infamous yellow fever pandemic of 1793. So let's get started. So what is yellow fever? So yellow fever comes from tropical climates such as Africa or South America but can really spread anywhere. How can you catch it? So it is spread by mosquitoes and people can only get it by being bitten by an infected mosquito. Let me repeat that. You can only get yellow fever from mosquitoes, not from people. How can you prevent getting yellow fever? So if you're worried about getting yellow fever, I have good news for you. You can prevent getting yellow fever by getting a vaccine and also wearing a lot of insect repellent. So let's talk real quickly about yellow fever in the 18th century. So yellow fever was a constant problem in the 18th century as ships from South, uh, sorry, ships from Africa and the Caribbean would transmit the virus to cities in North America, including the lovely city of Philadelphia. So that takes us to the yellow fever epidemic of 1793. So the yellow fever epidemic of 1793 took place in Philadelphia between August and November of 1793. 
At the time, Philadelphia was the capital of the United States and the largest city. It had about 50,000 residents, and most people live in what is now Old City. So for those of you who do not, who are familiar with Philadelphia but might not know the neighborhoods very well, Old City was basically Front Street to 7th Street and, and Chestnut Street to Vine Street. So it's a, a lot of people packed in a very densely populated area. It was also one of the nation's largest seaports and with ships coming in from around the world. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Shooting the Bull with Tom Snow. I'm your host Tom Snow and today we'll be doing an episode on the yellow fever pandemic. So sometime last year I'm, I made an episode where I compared the Spanish flu to COVID-19 and now I'm going to be doing the same thing with the infamous yellow fever pandemic of 1793. So let's get started. So what is yellow fever? So yellow fever comes from tropical climates such as Africa or South America, but can really spread anywhere. How can you catch it? So it is spread by mosquitoes and people can only get it by being bitten by an infected mosquito. Let me repeat that. You can only get yellow fever from mosquitoes, not from people. How can you prevent getting yellow fever? So if you're worried about getting yellow fever, I have good news for you. You can prevent getting yellow fever by getting a vaccine and also wearing a lot of insect repellent. So let's talk real quickly about yellow fever in the 18th century. So yellow fever was a constant problem in the 18th century as ships from South, uh, sorry, ships from Africa and the Caribbean would transmit the virus to cities in North America, including the lovely city of Philadelphia. So. That takes us to the yellow fever epidemic of 1793. So the yellow fever epidemic of 1793 took place in Philadelphia between August and November of 1793. At the time, Philadelphia was the capital of the United States and the largest city. It had about 50,000 residents and most people live in what is now Old City. So for those of you who do not, who are familiar with Philadelphia but might not know the neighborhoods very well. Old City was basically Front Street to 7th Street and, and Chestnut Street to Vine Street. So it's a, a lot of people packed in a very densely populated area. It was also one of the nation's largest seaports and with ships coming in from around the world. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Shooting the Bull with Tom Snow. I'm your host Tom Snow and today we'll be doing an episode on the yellow fever pandemic. So sometime last year I'm, I made an episode where I compared the Spanish flu to COVID-19 and now I'm going to be doing the same thing with the infamous yellow fever pandemic of 1793. So let's get started. So what is yellow fever? So yellow fever comes from tropical climates such as Africa or South America but can really spread anywhere. How can you catch it? So it is spread by mosquitoes and people can only get it by being bitten by an infected mosquito. Let me repeat that. You can only get yellow fever from mosquitoes, not from people. How can you prevent getting yellow fever? So if you're worried about getting yellow fever, I have good news for you. You can prevent getting yellow fever by getting a vaccine and also wearing a lot of insect repellent. So let's talk real quickly about yellow fever in the 18th century. 
So yellow fever was a constant problem in the 18th century as ships from South, uh, sorry, ships from Africa and the Caribbean would transmit the virus to cities in North America, including the lovely city of Philadelphia. So that takes us to the yellow fever epidemic of 1793. So the yellow fever epidemic of 1793 took place in Philadelphia between August and November of 1793. At the time, Philadelphia was the capital of the United States and the largest city. It had about 50,000 residents, and most people live in what is now Old City. So for those of you who, do not, who are familiar with Philadelphia but might not know the neighborhoods very well, Old City was basically Front Street to 7th Street and, and Chestnut Street to Vine Street. So it's a, a lot of people packed in a very densely populated area. It was also one of the nation's largest seaports and with ships coming in from around the world. 